Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Older Adult to Geriatric Nutrition Answers podcast presented to you by LongTermCareRD.com. I'm Michelle Sari, your host and presenter of today's episode. So welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed last week's episode. I want to open up by saying that we have something really exciting in our shop going on. I am starting to bundle products together. So if you've been buying things separately, there is a coupon code for you. So if you wanted to purchase an additional product at a discounted rate because you missed out on the bundle because we weren't selling them in bundles before, just send me an email or a message on Facebook, Instagram. I'll give all the contact information at the end of this episode and I will have it in the show notes as well. But for those of you who haven't purchased things yet, if you wanted to say, for example, get the Ultimate Long-Term Care Dietitian's Reference Guide and the Pocket Guide for Dietitians Prepping for State Surveys, it is now in a bundle package at a discounted rate if you were to buy them separately. So now is a great time to be going through with that. There's also clinical nutrition assessment forms. There's end-of-life nutrition ebooks and videos. So a lot of great options. In November as well, I am going to be doing a webinar on elderly depression and malnutrition. So be sure to stay tuned for that. If you're a part of the email subscription list, I will be sending out more information via email. So you can always sign up on the website and you'll be kept up to date and you'll get first rights with signing up. Okay, but today we're talking about spotting signs of malnutrition. Uh, This is obviously an incredibly important topic because malnutrition, it just seems to be an epidemic that's taking over long-term care. Some facilities are reporting rates as high as 75% in their patients. Obviously, we're going to see a diverse range of malnutrition diagnoses rates. You might see some as low as 15%. The average in a research study that I was a part of was 44%, and that was across four provinces in Canada a sample size of 639 residents in long-term care. It was a top-notch research study. So I would say the number is probably closer to 45%, 44% around there. Where you're going to see differing numbers is in, we use different tools to diagnose malnutrition. So that's where you're going to see the different reporting metrics, as well as like how often are you actually assessing for malnutrition. You should be doing it quarterly as a long-term care dietitian, but it doesn't happen in every facility. So spotting signs of malnutrition in elderly people, it is a top priority because we want to improve the survival rates. So as a registered dietitian, one of our primary responsibilities is going to be identifying and addressing malnutrition. The signs, they can be subtle and they're easily overlooked, which makes early detection and nutrition interventions absolutely crucial. So I'm going to try to equip you with the knowledge and tools that you need to identify the at-risk individuals, conduct a a comprehensive assessment, and develop a tailored nutrition plan. So essentially what we're trying to do though is we're trying to enhance their quality of life and that's really important. But let's start with the basics. So what is malnutrition? Malnutrition, technically it can be over or under nutrition, but obviously in long-term care we see a significant amount more that is undernutrition. So that's what I'm going to be referring to throughout today's talk. But it's when the state in the body, it's not getting enough of the nutrients that it needs to meet daily needs for functioning optimally. It's characterized by an insufficient intake of essential nutrients such as protein, vitamins, minerals, 
carbs, fat, all of that stuff that helps the body to run. The condition can result from a combination of factors. So it can be reduced appetite, difficulty chewing and swallowing, limited access to nutrient-rich food, chronic illnesses, as well as medications that may interfere with nutrient absorption. Now, the reason that older adults are more likely to be malnourished is because we tend to see a decrease in their appetite. This doesn't mean that all of them will become malnourished just because they have a decrease in appetite though, but it is one of the factors that contributes. And it is very common in long-term care. So it may be normal, and, but we shouldn't see it as acceptable. Older adults, especially those residing in long-term care facilities, are more likely to suffer from malnutrition though because they see a combination of physiological, psychological, and social factors. So here are some of the key reasons that they're more vulnerable. Like I said, number one, reduced appetite. As people age, their sense of taste and smell may diminish and this tends to lead to a decreased appetite. And obviously when we have decreased appetite, we're gonna see a decreased intake in food, which makes it far more challenging to meet their nutritional needs. Next, we see chewing and swallowing difficulties as well. Um, they can have issues with their dental problems. They might have dysphagia and all of this, it hinders their ability to consume certain foods, particularly those that are rich in fiber as well as protein because something like fruits and vegetables, fresh fruits and vegetables, if they have trouble chewing and swallowing, they're not probably gonna be having those anymore. Uh, the high protein foods, so let's take meats for example, dry meats, well, that is not gonna be something that we're gonna see them eating very often, so. Next is chronic health conditions. So older adults, they obviously have a higher prevalence of having multiple chronic diseases. You might see diabetes, heart disease, gastrointestinal problems. All of these conditions will impact their nutrient absorption and utilization, and this can lead to malnutrition. We also see a lot of polypharmacy, so a lot of medications that are going on. Older adults frequently take multiple medications. If you work in long-term care, you know you're writing down a list of 10 to 15 medications at every nutrition assessment. Some of them can have side effects that affect appetite as well as nutrient absorption, and some medications may also lead to nausea or changes in taste perception, again, all resulting in malnutrition. We do see social isolation as well playing a factor. Loneliness and social isolation are common among the elderly, particularly in long-term care. These emotional factors can lead to a lack of motivation to eat and they can affect mealtime habits. Research has also shown that depression has been found to significantly be associated with malnutrition in the elderly as well. Cognitive impairments, dementia, cognitive decline. I've seen stats as high as 68% of long-term care residents have some type of cognitive impairment. And this really can interfere with an, an individual's ability to eat. So it obviously depends on the level of cognitive impairment. In one study among the elderly, it found that 41% of people that had dementia were also malnourished. So a bad statistic. It also affects them in other ways though. Dementia can affect one's ability to remember to eat, remember how to eat independently, lose their independence, lose interest in food. Uh, some increase their energy expenditure simply because they pace and they walk around a lot. And it also plays a factor in their swallowing ability. So we see all of this leading to malnutrition. 
And lastly, limited mobility. Reduced physical ability or physical activity, mobility issues, it leads to muscle wasting and a decrease in appetite. This all exacerbates the risk of malnutrition. Limited mobility puts individuals at a higher risk of pressure injuries, which will in turn require much higher protein needs, calorie needs, again, more factors leading to malnutrition. So it's really important that if you have any patients or a loved one, depending um, who this is that's listening to this podcast, if somebody checks off more than one of those boxes that I just listed off, that they should be checked for malnutrition on a regular basis because they are at high risk of malnutrition. So I haven't talked about it in the podcast before, but you should be keeping a high risk Uh, spreadsheet of the patients that you track on a more regular basis and anybody that checks off more than one of those boxes they should be on that spreadsheet. Now the signs of malnutrition so this is what you're going to be looking for. So there's two different ways to evaluate the signs and symptoms of malnutrition. The first way is to go with the officially accepted Aspen definition and the second is a dietitian simply using their clinical judgment to identify it. So I've got a list and I've combined both of them, though the Aspen definition is very useful in spotting signs of malnutrition, but in practice, we know that there's a lot more warning signs to malnutrition than just their five criteria. So here we go. Number one, inadequate energy intake. This is very obvious. Somebody is not meeting their daily needs. Malnutrition may manifest as insufficient calorie intake. This will lead to weight loss, muscle wasting, and fatigue. Next, weight loss. So unintentional weight loss, particularly when it exceeds the 5% in one month or 10% in six months, significant indicator of malnutrition. Next is a loss of muscle mass. This is where you're going to use the NFPE or the Nutrition Focused Physical Exam Skills you'll be able to tell if there's a loss of muscle mass. And if you're doing regular quarterly nutrition assessments, which you should be doing, you will be able to compare your notes quarterly to see if there has been a change in their muscle mass. And that goes for the loss of subcutaneous fat, which is the next one. This is a more visible sign of malnutrition. They might appear emaciated or frail. So you want to have your nutrition-focused physical exam skills up to par. Next is fluid accumulation. In some cases, malnutrition can occur with edema. So this is kind of a tricky one because you may see somebody gaining weight, but really it's fluid weight. So if you don't know how to check for edema, it is typically diagnosed by nursing staff or doctors. They'll do it level one, level two, things like that. So if you're unsure if somebody has edema, it's something you really want to check on because you may see them categorized as a significant weight gain, but really it's water weight. So we don't take the same approach in that sense as if they had actually gained, you know, 10 pounds in a month. Next is diminished functional status. Uh, in malnourished individuals, they may experience a decline in physical and functional abilities, such as difficulty with mobility. Uh, they're starting not to do the activities of daily living that they once did. And of course, wound healing will be affected when physical status declines. Something a little bit different is changes in skin and hair. In the younger population, even in yourself, myself, I'm 36. Um, you may see changes in your skin and hair when you're not getting the proper nutrients. And the same goes for older adults. So we will see changes in their skin and hair. And this kind of leads into the next one, which is impaired wound healing. So when we see delayed wound healing, 
and increased susceptibility to infections. It's common in malnourished individuals due to a weakened immune system or they're not getting enough calories and protein to meet their needs. So this one really impacts quality of life and it can put them at risk for a very painful condition, increased infections, increased early mortality. So I'm a big advocate of making sure that you're really trying to get those wounds healed up quickly and working with the whole team to do it. If they're malnourished, you're not getting that wound healed up. So that needs to be a really big focus of yours. Take this one with a grain of salt though. Lab findings. Abnormal lab values. We know that serum albumin, pre-albumin, those kind of ones, there's some doctors you'll get referred to that they're malnourished and we know that there's a lot of literature out there that says albumin is more for acute changes. It doesn't indicate malnutrition anymore but it's always worth mentioning. And of course dietary intake. So when we're evaluating their nutritional intake, food, fluids, oral nutritional supplements, if it is below them meeting their daily needs, so let's say on average they're typically only eating 50%, big red flag, big, big red flag. You want to go back, look at their weights, you want to see their physical status, has it changed? All of these will contribute to malnutrition. Now, it's important to note that not all of these signs need to be present for a diagnosis of malnutrition, and the severity and combination of these indicators, it'll vary among individuals. But identifying malnutrition early is the key to preventing its adverse effects. It's not only the dietitian that can look out for signs of malnutrition, it's a whole team approach. This is why it's really great if you can educate others on what to look for. So even just letting staff know somebody's inadequate intake 50% on average and I haven't gotten to them can you send me a consult things like that it'll it should raise red flags now we obviously know there's a lot of problems that are caused by malnutrition so when you have a malnourished individual we're going to see a lot of negative health consequences you'll see muscle weakness you'll see functional decline um, impaired immune function slower wound healing it can even um, accelerate cognitive decline, increase risk of hospitalization, and a higher death rate. So catching malnutrition early is so critically important to the care of your patients. I cannot stress that enough. You should always have malnutrition on your radar and you should always be assessing for it. At minimum, quarterly. I want to see that done for all dietitians. Malnutrition is a condition that can be corrected if it is caught early enough and if the root cause is able to be treated. So let's say, for example, there are some conditions where you won't have malnutrition be treatable. Let's say because they have um, end-of-life malnutrition. Well, you're not going to reverse the malnutrition, but you can make them as comfortable as possible. But in many circumstances, you really can do your best to reverse it. So that's going to start with improving their nutrition. Very obvious one. So addressing malnutrition, it's going to take a multifaceted approach, especially if the root cause is something that is nutrition related, if that makes sense. Um, okay, but I'll give you some ways. So number one, you're always going to start with a comprehensive nutritional assessment. So regularly assessing the nutritional status, including assessing for malnutrition. So you're going to want a malnutrition screen inside of your nutrition assessment form. 
This can be the subjective global assessment. Some people use the mini nutritional assessment. My recommendation is to always use the subjective global assessment or the SGA. Having that built into your nutrition assessment makes your job so much easier. If you're looking for a great nutrition assessment form, you can get it actually separately on the website in the shop page, but it is actually included in the long-term care dietitian's reference guide that I was talking about. So there's one built in there, you can use it in your facility. Uh, next up is individualized meal plans. So obviously everything is person-centered care. So we're going to want to look at what are their dietary preferences? What are their likes and dislikes? And can we offer that more to increase their intake? Are there cultural foods that they love that they're not necessarily getting that maybe you can't get it in facility, but maybe the family can bring it in? As well, any specific dietary restrictions that are due to medical conditions, can we liberalize the diet at all? So let's say they were on controlled carb diet and we're now wanting to liberalize the diet to give them more options. Can you look at something like that? So you're going to want to provide those nutrient dense meals, but it's going to be, you're going to want it to be stuff that they love and that you know that they're going to eat. Uh, social support and meal companionship. So combating social isolation by encouraging social interactions during meals is so important. Meals are not just about the food. It's about an experience. So eating with others can make meals more enjoyable. It can improve appetite and it can enhance the overall dining experience. So we really want to be looking at fostering a sense of community during mealtimes. Next up is fortifying foods. So ensure easy access to a variety of nutrient-rich foods so you know how to fortify foods. You can be adding protein powders to meals, skim milk powder, whole milk, butters, cheeses. This is going to increase the protein and the calories in the meals. And of course, educating and training. And this is going to go back to the point that I made that it is a whole team approach dealing with malnutrition. So you can be educating the caregivers, the family members, healthcare professionals about the importance of nutrition in the older adults and provide training and techniques to address the chewing, swallowing difficulties. You're coming up with new meal plans. You're creating an environment that promotes those increased eating habits. So by implementing these simple strategies, you can really significantly improve the nutrition status of the elderly and reduce the risk of malnutrition. Now, I just wanna to touch on, there's a role for the family members to play in this. It's not just up to the staff. Family members can play a crucial role in supporting the nutritional health of the older adults. By staying involved and informed, they can help reinforce the importance of good nutrition and they can also encourage their loved ones to participate in meals. Families can provide you with valuable insights into the older adults eating habits, food preferences, past dietary patterns that maybe they enjoyed. And this can all aid the healthcare workers in developing a more personalized care plan. So if you're a dietitian, always make sure that you're connecting with loved ones to come up with a patient's favorite foods, their likes, dislikes, because it's a collaborative care approach. So addressing malnutrition in older adults requires a multidisciplinary approach. Dietitians, nurses, doctors, caregivers, family members, we all have to work together to ensure that an older adult's nutritional needs are met. And this can improve their health, well-being, and quality of life. So that's all I have for you today. I'll put the links to everything that I talked about today in the show notes. Don't forget to check out the shop page though. If you've been holding off on getting something, now is the time because you can go with the bundle. 
Thank you for tuning into this podcast. If I can ask one favor of you, be sure to like and follow the show on your Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give it a five-star rating and review. It costs you nothing and it really helps just to get this podcast in front of more people that may find this information really helpful. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at LongTermCareRD. You can find the website at www.longtermcarerd.com. Feel free to send me an email if you have any questions at all. My contact information is all over the website. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.